And we are in John chapter 15. A couple weeks ago when we were in John chapter 15, um, before, we were talking about love and that love relationship that Christ is encouraging on the part of His, dis- in, uh, his disciples because they're going to be facing some interesting things in the next day or so. Jesus being crucified and, and then resurrected. And he's encouraging them, exhorting them, commanding them to, to love one another. He's speaking to his disciples specifically, saying, love one another. And we talked about that at length in our last teaching in John. And I think he's doing that because he knows that there's going to be some tough times coming ahead for them. And it's important that they keep a focus, a healthy focus, on loving one another because they're going to need to be able to be there for each other to encourage one another because of what's going to be taking place. Now, it's a word that rings true across all the ages to us today as well, right? As his disciples, we are to love one another because he commands us to. And it's good for us building each other up in love, but it's also a good witness for those outside the church, right? They see us as Christians actually living out what God commanded us to do, loving one another. And they don't always see that, do they? Uh, As sad as it is, uh, a lot of churches don't necessarily uh, put that face forward to their communities uh, because of uh, fighting from within. It happens, doesn't it? And I'm not saying that we're immune to that because we're all sinners saved by grace and we're not always going to agree, are we? Uh, That's just the way that it is. But... Even in our disagreement, we are commanded to do what? Love one another. So if that's our focus, as you saw in the banner out front when you came in, uh, the, the basically mission statement of our church is to love God and love others. So if we're loving God first, focused on that, loving others should come very easy in that because we're loving God the way that we should. It's interesting because where we are in Scripture this morning, we're moving from a topic that Jesus was teaching on of love, now to hate. And I think it's just very interesting what he has to say about that and how that follows this exhortation that he's given his disciples on love. Now we're going to move in towards hate. I've entitled the teaching this morning this love-hate relationship. Now that's not speaking of our relationship with the Lord, that it's a love-hate relationship. It's speaking of these two elements that we have here as we go verse by verse through chapter 15 and where he's talking about love and now he's going to be talking about hate. Love versus hate. He commanded his disciples to love one another twice as we looked at that uh, when we were in chapter 15 before in verse 12 and in verse 17. He commanded them to love one another. Now he's going to be tying it together in our text this morning. And it's as, if, it's as if Jesus is saying to his disciples, you must love one another because the world is going to hate you. And we see that in this text this morning. We're going to see how the world as a whole hates Christians, hates Jesus. And so he's exhorting them to love one another because the world is going to be hating on them. So he ends verse 17 with love one another. And now in verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, 
you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So two words for us to look at closely in this text this morning, and we see in these, these two verses, we see world, the world, and we see hate, the world and hate. Let's start with hate. How many of you remember when you were growing up playing on the playground with friends or even in your own home with your siblings and they did something that you didn't necessarily agree with and you or they responded by saying what? Oh, I hate you. We've all done that, haven't we? Am I the only one that did that with my siblings? <laughs> I hate you because we're upset with them. Now, we don't really hate them. We, we love them, but yet it's a term that we use fairly loosely. But in the context that we're going to be looking at this morning, it's a very serious thing to be, to be hating on someone. And we see it prevalent in our world today, don't we? How people, there's this hate for one another, a deep root, deeply rooted hate towards different groups and different people. So the word hate or a form of it is used a total of eight times in eight verses in the passages that we're going to be looking at this morning. Webster's defines hate as to dislike someone or something uh, very strongly. Hate someone or something with great intensity. So we might dislike something, but hate ratchets it up a little bit more, doesn't it? It gets a little more serious with hate rather than dis dislike. So it's obviously not just a casual dislike for something. It's an intense, consuming dislike, followed by, typically, by action in our, uh, the way that we react to it. Now, some of you here know that I don't like tomatoes. I dislike tomatoes. I have no use for tomatoes. But I don't hate tomatoes. Uh, sometimes Chris will cook a meal and she'll chop them up small enough to hide them in the food. So I don't know I'm actually eating tomato. It's just kind of part of the ingredients. And it adds to the overall taste. So it's more like ketchup at that point, you know, to me. I like ketchup. <laughs> but you will never see me, unless forced to at gunpoint, bite into a tomato. You're just not going to see me do that. That's just bizarre. I don't even like the looks of the inside of a tomato. For me, it's like brain matter almost. You know, it's like still in the larva stage or something. I just don't like the looks of a tomato. I'm not going to eat a tomato. And I don't like cherries or strawberries either. I have no problem if you like them. That's entirely up to you. So I don't have a hate for them. I'm not going to go out and rage war on tomatoes or those particular fruits. I'm not going to go try to stamp out these evil red vegetables or fruit. I'm not going to do that. Now, maybe it's just red food in general that I've got a problem with. Maybe, I don't know. But I like apples. And I like cherry and strawberry drinks. So maybe it's a texture thing for me. I don't know. So I dislike those foods, but I don't hate them. Hate for someone or something could take it to a level of ridiculousness, right? 
If I'm out there holding banners or posters and going, stamp out tomatoes, you know? <laughs> it's just ridiculous, isn't it? So I can dislike them, but to have hate for them, that takes it to a whole other level. And hate, for the most part, is a learned response. We don't necessarily know what it is that we hate until we're taught by someone else to hate it, right? It's a learned response. You know, when we were born, we didn't have the capacity to just immediately hate something, did we? It took time and influence over different things. Probably somewhere along the line, there was somebody in my family or whatever that had a severe dislike for tomatoes. And I developed that, you know, uh, from that. I just don't like them. Inherited. <laughs> Inherited, maybe, yeah. So I found out this week through a situation that my dad doesn't really like chicken. He says he doesn't like chicken. After the meal, the only thing that was left was the bone. So I don't know how that equates to not liking chicken, but he says that he doesn't like chicken. My older brother doesn't like chicken either at all. And I think that's just weird, don't you, to not like chicken? I mean, it certainly, it certainly limits what you can eat when everything tastes like chicken, right? Right? But hate is a learned response. Unfortunately, we've seen that in our own country over the years on the subject of racism. Views that are handed down, taught over time in a negative, unhealthy way. And hate, in and of itself, is typically progressive. Think of it like this. A disagreement, uh, not what I believe or think. We run into that with certain people, that they express something about themselves or some subject matter that we just don't agree with. So there's the disagreement stage. Then there's resentment. Because they don't agree with me, I don't know if we can really get along. I don't know if we can really spend a whole lot of time together because I resent what it is that they stand for or what they believe. And then there's opposition to actually go on the offensive because of the disagreement and the resentment. And we go into that opposition stage, we're really moving into or playing with or dangerously close to hate in regards to that. Most of all, if not all, wars are started from what? Hate, aren't they? Basically, you have something I don't and I want it. You have more of something that I do and I want more. I want what you have even though it's not mine. I don't agree with what you think. What I think is right. You're wrong, not me. And we know whether it be politics, religion, sports, name of group of people or a subject matter, and you'll find disagreement, you'll find dislike, you'll find hate. Now Jesus is telling His disciples here that the world is going to hate them. Why? Because the world hates Him. They hated Him first, and if they, His disciples, and if we as His disciples follow, teach, and promote the things that Jesus does, then they, we, will be hated because of those things. So the world will hate them because the world hates Jesus. Now the word world is used six times in just these two verses. And the word world is used in different ways with different meanings in Scripture. So what 
world meaning is this referring to in these two verses that we're looking at? We need to clarify which world is Jesus referring to. The term world, it's interesting, is used in at least three different ways in Scripture. The created world, certainly we know that from the Genesis account, but also in John 1.10, Jesus it said of Jesus that the world was made through Him. So there's the created world. The world of humanity, all of the people in the world, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He loved the world. He loved humanity as a whole. So there's the created world, there's the world of humanity, and then there's the other, the world as the society against God. So think of the portion of humanity that is against God. That would be what we would refer to as the society, the world society, opposed to God, the world system, if you will. We hear a newscaster saying now from the world of sports, it's not a special country or planet, is it, the world of sports? It's all of the people, the organization, the plans, the schedules, the activities, the results that are a part of or taking place in the world of sports. The focus is upon sports in that. Therefore, the world system as we know it would be the people, organizations, philosophies, activities, the values, etc., that belong to a society without God. And we're all very aware of those groups of people that are out there that are opposed to God and God's teachings and what God has to say in His Word. Therefore, they oppose Jesus and who He is and everything that He stood for, right? They might even recognize Jesus as a good moral teacher, but they're not going to give in to and follow him because of what? They'd have to change, wouldn't they? Change would be required if they gave themselves over to that. And they don't want that. So this world system has one common denominator in it. It's a three-letter word, sin. <laughs> it just is. They're caught up in their sin and they don't want to change this, this world system as we know it. It promotes the wants and the sinful desires of man over the things of God. Now we're warned many times throughout Scripture, but we're warned in God's Word to not love the world or the things in the world. These are the things of this world system that we're talking about. 1 John 2, 15-16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. Now for those you tomato lovers out there, <laughs> we're not to love the world, right? Tomatoes are a part of the world. And I say that in jest, but yet it's anything that's going to take our attention off of, our focus off of, God himself. That's where our love should be directed first and foremost. So if we're allowing ourselves to love anything in the world, we all have cars, we have boats, we have hobbies, we have all these things that we enjoy, and those are fine as long as we have a healthy focus on God first and foremost, right? But if those things become 
objects of worship to us, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. It takes away from our focus upon the Lord. We're distracted by it. And those would be the very things that the world says, you deserve this. You should get one of these, especially this time of year, right? With the exception of Lazy Boy Furniture, because that's a quality product, and uh, <laughs> it provides for the means for our family. Uh, <laughs> so, Lazy Boy Furniture, yeah, that's fine. Uh, anything else? <laughs> Is that a good enough plug? Okay. So we're not to love the world or the things in the world. We know what those things are. Anything that would just, just distract us from our relationship with the Lord. But the world system is, do, is doing what? It's promoting those things. How many of you here have read a book called The Screwtape Letters? Any of you? It's a neat little book written by C.S. Lewis because it really gives us a picture into the enemy's ploy to just totally distract us. And he does it very well, doesn't he? And he uses this thing that we're talking about this morning, the world system, to accomplish that a lot of times, whether it be through the media, whether it be through politics, whether it be whatever it is that he determines to use to get our focus off of God and onto this or that thing. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're not to be conformed to the world, but we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So anytime that we're in a place where we're giving in to this world system of doing things that takes our focus away from God and the things of God, and we're distracted by that, we're conforming. We're doing what it this verse tells us not to do. We're conforming to the pattern of the world. And it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're not conformed to the world system. We're not to love the world system or the things of the world system. From God's word, we know that the ruler of this world, this world system is Satan himself. He rebelled against God and is in total opposition to God and the things of God. He, he is a promoter of sin. He's the deceiver of the brethren. He promotes his world system of doing things. Satan deludes and deceives and desensitizes the minds of those who do not renew their minds by the power of God's word. That last one to me, it's so scary. Desensitizes. Think about the things, those of us that are a little older here, just a little older, not real old, but a little older, the things that appalled us when we were growing up. And now you think about the things that are present today, uh, even in TV and the movie industry especially. You look at those things, and over time, we have been, and certainly our Kids have been desensitized to certain things, right? How many of you remember when Dick Van Dyke and his wife slept in twin beds? You know, not so much the case anymore. You don't see that any, any longer. We've been desensitized in so many ways to those types of things that used to appall us. And now God's Word is telling us to be transformed 
by the renewing of our mind. Because of who Jesus is, because of His claims, He's teaching His ministry, He's hated for truly representing the Father. And so for us to be transformed, for our minds to be renewed, the only way to accomplish that is to be in God's Word, isn't it? That's the transforming power of God in our lives through the power of His Holy Spirit revealing His Holy Scriptures to us and changing the way that we think, the way that we approach things. It transforms us. It should transform us. So at this time, Jesus here is speaking these words to His, his disciples. There is this accepted religious system in place. And it's enforced by the Jewish leaders of the day. Judaism. Now they certainly believed in God. They believed in one God. But they did not believe that Jesus was His Son. That He was the promised Messiah. They weren't buying into that, were they? We've seen throughout our study of the book of John all these controversies that are taking place between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. We look back at it from here and we go, well, how ridiculous is that? Jesus is God. It's God Himself speaking to them and they're not accepting it. Well, they just didn't see it, did they? They just didn't see it. We can uh, <laughs> come down on them a little bit. We just look at it. I don't get it. Why did, why did they not see what was going on? Well, did we see before we knew the Lord? We didn't have the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the truth of God. So we were in the same place. Now, without a doubt, they believed in God. God was their God, the one and only true God. They just didn't believe who Jesus said He was. They believed God and His promise of this coming Messiah, but they just didn't believe Jesus was the one. So let's look at why Jesus is hated and why Jesus says we will be hated. If you're a note taker, point number one, we're hated because we do not belong to the world. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So if, as Christians, we've paraphrased this verse to what? We're in the world, but not of the world. Meaning that we're in the world physically, but we're not of the world spiritually. The world system functions on the basis of what? Conformity. They want us to conform to their, their way of doing things, the world system of doing things. Back in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, do, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. We're not only being warned not to do that, we're being commanded not to do that. Don't conform to the world's way of doing things. And as long as a person follows along in step with all of the fads, the fashions, and the values of the world system, they stay in step with that world system, don't they? Following along, you know, blindly. Uh, you know, I'm moving along in my life, just accepting and conforming to everything that the world system is telling but we're not to be conformed to the pattern of the world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, no longer thinking like the world, 
But as it says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, having the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ. And when we have the mind of Christ, we're not just out of step with the world and the world system. We are also out of place in the world system, aren't we? Not just out of step. We are out of place in that. Verse 20, remember that the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. So he says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, because you're standing for the same things that I'm standing for, that which the Father has told me, you're standing for those things, so they are going to persecute you for that. He's telling his disciples that. Now, we could take ourselves out of this, this text, out of this context, and say, well, it's, he's saying that because of his disciples. How many of them were going to be martyred? Uh, how many of them were going to uh, get stoned? How many of them were uh, going to face heavy persecution in their lives? And so here we are, 2014, almost 2015, and how many of us would say, would use the word persecuted for the way that we've been treated? It falls in that category, but that's a kind of a heavy word to use for somebody just making fun of you because of your belief in Jesus Christ or because you go to church or whatever, you know. We're not really being persecuted, per se, like we see that they are here, but it doesn't mean that we won't be either, right? The world's going crazy. And there are Christians in other parts of the world that are certainly being persecuted. Christians that are being martyred on a regular basis for their faith in Jesus Christ. And to just say, oh, well, that's never going to happen to us here, uh, we don't know that. We don't have any idea. So he said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But he also gives us some encouragement in that. He says, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And what he's trying to teach them in that is that if you're going to be teaching the things that I've taught you, then they're going to believe you like they believed me. Because you're going to be empowered to teach the very things that I taught you, and it's going to have influence over other people. So, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also, because your word is my word. That's what Jesus is saying to him. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. So even though we have Judaism, this, these religious leaders of the day that believed in God, believed in one God, they didn't believe that God sent Jesus, did they? So Jesus is saying they don't know him who sent me. They don't really know the heart of God. They certainly knew the laws of God, but they didn't know the heart of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, which was shown through Jesus because they didn't accept who Jesus was. They didn't know Jesus. Point number two, we're hated because the world is spiritually ignorant and blind. <clears throat> now, like persecute, like hate, the word ignorant has a connotation to it that seems kind of heavy, doesn't it? If I say, well, you're ignorant, it's, it doesn't feel like you're really building someone up in love there, does it? It's, it's just a harsh word to use. 
But understanding the meaning behind the word, it's very clear. Ignorant means lacking knowledge. That's all it means. You're ignorant about something if you lack knowledge about it. Uh, I would be ignorant about skiing. There's only one thing I know about skiing. You go downhill very fast. And if you don't know what you're doing, you're going downhill very fast out of control. No part of that sounds any fun to me whatsoever because I don't know how to ski. I'm ignorant when it comes to skiing. So we're all ignorant about certain things, aren't we? Uh, some of us have no idea what it is to raise hogs. How many of you in here have raised hogs before? Bill. Yeah. Bill. I've been on a farm growing up where we raised hogs. And here's what I know. Hogs are ignorant. <laughs> hogs are ignorant animals. It's kind of a misconception, though, because hogs are actually very smart. A hog can escape out of a fenced-in area quicker than any other animal you've ever seen. They don't jump out. <laughs> Hogs don't jump a whole lot. But they find a way to get out. So they're not an ignorant animal. But the things that we don't know, the things that we lack knowledge in, we are ignorant about that. We can use that phrase with confidence because that's the meaning behind the term. So the world is spiritually ignorant and blind. They're ignorant because they lack knowledge of Jesus Christ, don't they? They lack knowledge of God, the true knowledge that comes from God's Word. So they're ignorant when it comes to that. And they're also blind. They have been conditioned, they have conformed for so long, they don't want to see, do they? So they are blind to that truth, whatever, that, whatever the truth may be. Uh, in this case, God's Word. So as we once were ignorant and lacking knowledge when it comes to the things of God, for these disciples hated because they believe in who Jesus says He is, because they believe that He was sent from God, because they believe in His words and His teaching, because they believe He is the Son of God, Jesus is telling them, you're going to be hated for that. And we're going to be hated for that as well. And it sounds like such a strong statement, doesn't it? For someone out there, some group of people out there, to hate us because of what we believe. But we know it's true, don't we? Because we see the opposition. We see that there are those out there that want to destroy Christianity, don't they? They want us wiped off the face of the earth because they're ignorant and blind from what God has for, for them as well. So they're going to be hated for what they believe, these disciples and ourselves. Jesus is preparing them for what's to come. He is hated and will be persecuted and is warning them that they will be persecuted too. So imagine, if you will, these disciples having this taught to them, this told to them that they're going to be persecuted, and then very next day they see Jesus crucified on a cross which sounds a lot like persecution. Is that going to build a whole lot of confidence in them to see this happen? Whoa, he said he was going to, he's going to be persecuted and we're going to be persecuted. 
We don't want to die on a cross. I think that that probably gives us some indication as to why they scattered <laughs> at the time of the crucifixion and afterwards, right? We know that they did come back together. I believe that that was a work of God as well, that God brought them back together in fellowship so that they could love one another, they could encourage one another based on everything that has happened. But they got to see persecution that Jesus is talking about firsthand, didn't they? Him going to the cross. Jesus is saying to them, they hate me and you belong to me, so they're going to hate you as well. Those that do not believe in me will persecute me, is what Jesus is saying. And because you believe in me, they will persecute you as well. If you were here on Christmas Eve, you heard the presentation at our Christmas Eve service as Jesus as light, right? And that was illuminating. It lit us all up, if you will, <laughs> hearing, hearing that message. Hold your place in John 15 and turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. No, we're not going to start over with the book of John. I just want to bring... <laughs> we've been well over a year getting to where we've got. So, <laughs> uh, John chapter 1. And we're going to look at a few verses here. Starting with verse 3. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jump down to verse 9. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Now think about that for a second. Who did he come to? Jesus was what? He was Jew, wasn't he? And he came to the Jewish people. We know that his ministry, the salvation that he offers, went way beyond that to the Gentiles as well, but he came to his own, which were his own people, and his own did not receive him. So on this subject of persecution, how many of you have come to your own family, friends, promoting Jesus Christ and sharing what he's done in your life, and they're not really all that responsive? Have you experienced that at all? Of course, we have, haven't we? As we try to share what Christ has done in our lives, we have come to our own and our own are not receiving that which we have received from the Father through Jesus Christ. So the darkness referred to in these passages is this world system that we've talked about. They're not interested in the real truth. Real truth, because to them, truth is what? Relative. You've heard that term before. And also the world system is blinded by their own Religiosity is not willing to see the truth. Someone will tell you, I'm not into religion. Everybody has some form of religion, don't they? Atheism is a form of religion. Not believing in God, not believing in anything is a type of religion, isn't it? Well, that's my religion. I don't believe in anything. What a sad way to live your life. I don't believe in anything. 
What do you mean? You don't live your life like you don't believe in anything. You believe in something. But they'll say, well, I'm not into religion. Well, they are into religion because they are believing something, even if, if it's something that they've come up with on their own. It says, He came to His own. His own did not receive Him. They were ignorant and blind to who Jesus was. Why? Well, in the case of Judaism, they were blinded by their own religiosity, weren't they? They had set up a standard for what their belief system was. And again, they believed in God, the one, the only true God. And they believed in what He had commanded them to do. But somewhere along the way, they determined, well, we need to add to that, don't we? In order to prove ourselves the children of God, we need to set aside a system of living, a system of discipline, a system of rules to go along with God's commands that will prove, be proof positive that we are who we say we are, the children of God, right? And so they required that of everyone around them as well. And so if you weren't adhering to their way of doing things, you were wrong. Jesus comes on the scene. <laughs> And he wasn't into their system of doing things at all, was he? Now, don't get me wrong. He fulfilled the law to perfection. He didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled it to perfection. But he turned them upside down. He turned them up on their ear based on what he was promoting, based on what he was saying, based on what he was teaching, based on who he claimed he was. They didn't believe it, did they? They didn't want to. So what was birthed out of that? You're going against everything that we believe about God. You're claiming to be God, which is blasphemy. So the hate starts to stir up, doesn't it? And through the hate, he's going to be persecuted. They were blinded by their own religious system, their own religiosity. They're not willing to see, not willing to change. The Jews, his own people by lineage, so steeped in Judaism, they couldn't change. They wouldn't change. They wouldn't believe. Point number three. Hated because the world will not be honest about its own sin. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Jesus pointed out their sin, and now they have no excuses. We know that to be true in our own lives, right? As we came to the Lord, He pointed out our sin to us. And He continues to do so. Unless you're here and you have no sin. And if you are, I'd like to talk to you after the service because I'd like to see how it is that you do that. <laughs> I would really be interested in that. We all have sin. Through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, sin is still pointed out to us, right? And we're convicted of it. We confess it. We ask for repentance. But this world system, they are steeped in their sin. They won't be honest about their sin. They want to rationalize their sin, don't they? They want to say, hey, my lifestyle, the way I choose to live it, that's okay. They've come up with their own religious system in that, right? And it's one that rationalizes that their sin, whatever that sin is, is okay. 
But the Son of God, the Messiah, has come and has shown them, the religious leaders of that day and, and the people of that day, as well as us in this day, that religiosity will not save them, only belief in Him will. But they still refuse to believe. The Judaizers, they're stuck and steeped in tradition when they need to be transformed by the truth. They see Jesus as a problem that must be dealt with. He must be silenced because they don't agree with what He's teaching, what He's saying, what He is doing, who He is claiming to be. And out of hate, they're going to respond. They're going to persecute Him. He revealed the Father to them, and they refused to believe His revelation of the Father, didn't they? Still true today. Verse 23, He who hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my Father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without cause. You see that in, in the book of Psalms. They hated me without cause. Did they really have any reason to hate Jesus Christ? None whatsoever. None whatsoever. But they believed they did. They believed they had every reason to hate him and persecute him today. Those that don't have relationship with Christ, that are opposed to, against the things of God, do they have any reason to hate Him? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son? Where is their hate in that? He has poured out love, an abundance of love, to all of us as we know that, but to the whole world if they'll just receive and accept it. So all of the evidence has been presented, but they were not honest enough to receive it and change. I, I struggle sometimes because I look at these things and I see he actually raised someone from the dead. And it's documented by however many people that were present. It's, it's, it's a fact. Wouldn't you begin to wonder, maybe there is something to this Jesus guy, you know? He says he's from God. Maybe he is from God. There were those that believed he was from God. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. These guys believed, didn't they? But there are so many of them that just refused to believe. Why? It was going to require them to do what? Change. It's going to require change on their part. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals the blind man. And after much investigation and many interviews... Parents, friends, neighbors, whoever all they talked to, including the blind man himself, the religious leaders did come to the point that they had to admit that Jesus had healed the man who was born blind. They came to that point that they accepted the fact that this blind man had been healed by Jesus. But they couldn't follow the evidence to the logical conclusion. They couldn't put their trust in Jesus. So what did Jesus say to them? He told them that they were the ones that were blind. But admitting that they had seen a miracle made their sin even worse. We accept the fact that Jesus healed this blind man, but we're not going to accept who he says who he is. 
So these religious leaders were not sinning out of ignorance. Rather, they were sinning against a flood of light, refusing to believe. Why? Again, the light had revealed their own sin. And they didn't want to come to grips with that, right? They felt that through the traditions that they were steeped in, that in their attempt to keep the law to perfection themselves, which they weren't, that they were justified in God. They thought that they had arrived. Everything was good. I don't need to do it any other way because I'm good where I am. How many people do we know today that are that same way? They've become very comfortable. They've conformed to the point of being very comfortable with their lifestyle. They've rationalized it to the point where they don't need an excuse any longer. They believe they're right where they want to be. And they're perfectly content? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think they're content at all. I think that they're fooled into believing that they are. So they did not want to face their own sin honestly, as well as the people of the world today. They determined to get rid of that which convicts them rather than facing the truth. So rather than follow, believe in Jesus Christ, they hate Him and they persecute Him and they get rid of Him rather than what? Dealing with their own sin. Dealing with where they are. Get rid of that which convicts rather than facing the truth itself. We face that to a certain degree today, don't we? Rather than come to grips with their own sin, let's just get rid of it. Let's, let's try to do away with the light. We don't want the light. We're happy living in darkness. The light shining on me just shows me what I don't want to see. That's basically where they are. So let's get rid of the light. The world, as we know it, does that today. Living out life believing sin and truth is relative. That there's really no standard to live by. I will develop my own standard of living. I will be, uh, develop my own standard of conviction in life, and you don't try to push your system off on me. I've got my own system. It's working just fine. Don't push your beliefs on me. I've got my own set of standards, my own set of morals. You just need to leave me alone and allow me to live my life the way I want to. We're basically saying, get out of my face, get out of my grill. I hate your ways. I hate you. But they're not our ways, are they? They're God's ways. That's what we're trying to communicate to them. They all hate what Jesus stands for. And that's why it's so important that we as disciples love one another. Jesus gives that message to his disciples first, doesn't he? I command you, love one another. You're going to need it for each other to build up one another to further equip one another, to encourage one another. But you're also going to need it because you're going to be hated and the world's going to be watching. And the world loves to spread the message of Christians that are bickering and fighting with one another, don't they? 
another church split, another fallen pastor, whatever that might be, they love to grab that and run with it to say that, what, you're hypocrites. You're not loving the way you say that you're supposed to be loving. Unfortunately, (laughs) they're right at times, aren't they? That's why Jesus is encouraging us. He's encouraging his disciples, make it a priority to love one another. And just as we've talked about hate this morning, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about love and truly loving one another, what that means, two good word studies for you to do if you want to take the time. Looking at those two words and how they're so much in contrast to one another. So Jesus encouraged his disciples in this. He encourages us in this because we will be hated for what and in whom we believe. And we need to love one another for two specific reasons. To encourage and support one another and to be to continue to be a witness to those around us. The problem, we can't do it on our own. We need help, don't we? We need the promised helper. Jesus goes on to say in verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus tells us all these things, that we need to love one another. He also tells us that we're going to be hated and persecuted. But he also is going to give us a helper in both those things, right? The helper is there in place to help us to love one another, to help us to love those outside of our relationship with Jesus Christ so that they might come to know him as well. And he also has given us the Holy Spirit to build us up, to strengthen us, to encourage us because he says we're going to be hated. He's given us his helper. Now, these disciples were with Jesus physically from the beginning. We know that. And they had witnessed all that he had done in the lives of others and in their own lives. But we, too, are witnesses of those same things. We have them documented for us in his word for us to study and to look at, worked out in the lives of those that we see in God's word, but also in our own lives as well and in the lives of those around us. We love to hear testimonies, don't we? of what God has done in somebody else's life because it encourages us. It builds us up. We see Jesus at work in the lives of other people and that's an encouragement for us. Because we believe in Him, trust in Him, and in His Word, we are going to experience hate and persecution. But He's given us His Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Spirit of Truth to help us, to encourage us, to empower us to overcome, to overcome the hate, to help us to continue to love God, love one another, and love others, even the haters. In spite of their hate, in spite of their persecution towards us, that we might encourage them to see Jesus as they see Him in our lives. Through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we are to bear witness of Jesus Christ in the world because we are not of it. Amen? Regardless of the hate and the persecution that we experience. 